Life has its ups and downs. Our guests will share their story and their journey through life. They'll share the struggles they hit and how they pivot in a way to come out stronger and better than before. Growing up, we are taught there is one way of life that essentially creates our life's checkmark. You have a choice to go in any direction you desire. As you listen to our guest, you're encouraged to look at your life and the checkmark you created in your mind and readjust if needed after listening to some of the incredible stories told. This is the Life's Checkmark Podcast, and I'm your host, John Emery. Hi, Alexandra. It's great to have you with me today. Um, I know we've connected through a another website where other podcasters and guests can connect, and it was great to hear you the one day we were able to chat and, ha- you know, to make sure that, you know, what we're talking about is what we're going to be talking about today, and I'm excited to have you on. And would you mind just sharing with us a, and, the, you know, the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you're doing today, and then we can go backwards in time. Thank you so much, John, for having me. It's a real pleasure to be a guest on your podcast. Uh, my name is Alexandra Dolceva. I am from Bulgaria originally. I came to the States in 2000 to earn my master's and doctoral degrees in violin. And uh, then in 2008, I put myself through nursing school because the musician's market started decreasing and uh, going out of demand. Orchestra started bankrupting. It was a very difficult time because of the financial crisis between 2006 and 2008. And so after I uh, became a nurse in 2011, unfortunately, I uh, had to stop playing the violin, which I had by that time been practicing for 29 years and dedicated myself to a different profession. Um, And then I became a real estate investor. I have three real estate businesses along with my nursing career. And uh, this is in a nutshell about me. And recently I did publish a book because I wanted to help people who struggle with self-esteem and low self-confidence like I did for over 20 years while I was really dedicated to my music profession. I want to tell people that midlife crisis is perfectly fine. It's a great opportunity to re-evaluate your life, to redefine yourself and embark on a journey that you probably never, ever thought you would. And it's a great thing to do. And uh, fear can be transformed into a leading, guiding, uh, motivating force. And this is what I'm here for today. Thank you. Uh, um, if you don't mind, we'll just dive back into a little bit how you got to where you are. Uh, I know you explained just a few things. So you were you did violin for 29 years? I did, yes. It took that much, uh, that long until I entered the force as a nurse, the working force as a nurse. But um, I started at age six. Mm-hmm. And at age 32, I understood that I was not competitive enough. Even though I had already graduated with a doctoral degree from Louisiana State University, I had a part-time job with the Syracuse Symphony Orchestra, which... Uh, sadly, some subsequently declared bankruptcy in 2011 when I already had a job waiting for me in the ICU upon graduation from nursing school. But yes, 29 years uh, from the start of my violin to entering the workforce as a nurse. Wow. I, I've never came across somebody yet that has been doing a, uh, an instrument that long. So that's why I'm intrigued. So, I mean, what, what kept you really... It was it the love of the music, the instrument that really kept you going? Well, for one thing, for one thing, my parents were musicians. So when you're in Eastern Europe uh, and mm-hmm. if your parents are practicing the profession, it is very likely that they will have you uh, pursue the same um, career, the same field. 
And when you start practicing an instrument as a child, it can be fascinating and it can be also quite a bit of responsibility when you hear the other children playing in the street, but then mom and dad say you have to practice for two, three, four or five hours and the mm. hours of practice increase with your age. So um, I, I started with one or two hours a day when I was six years old, but then by the time I was in the fifth, sixth grade, I was practicing six hours a day which uh, here people say, oh, wow, that's a lot. But then if you actually know about Japanese uh, violin players and mus musicians, career musicians, they start practicing 10 hours a day from age five, for example, which was not the case with my family. But yes, they wanted to instill this discipline in me. They, want, they believed that me being a classical musician would be a great profession because you can play in an orchestra, you can be a soloist, you can be a chamber musician, and you learn so much about the repertoire, the culture, composers, various countries and their historical problems. It was a wonderful, wonderful idea indeed, until um, the internet came along and then YouTube and all these recording companies. Suddenly you have all these recordings you can listen for free. It was a horrible crash for the industry and then financial crisis happened. So it wasn't sustainable anymore in my case. But, mm. Yeah. So it, do you know if that's something that's still brought up in that culture, uh, you know, where you came from? Oh, no, it's it's declining drastically. Yeah. Uh, several years ago, there was a very uh, controversial cultural, cultural minister who really did a horrible job. He uh, basically eliminated most of the major orchestras in Bulgaria. Oh. And that was a big crash for the culture because then you have a culture that evolves that is much more bass and nothing like classical music. It's truly pop of the worst kinds and becomes very popular and young people don't learn arts properly. It's just what's happening here in the United States. But because Bulgaria is a very small country, it's even more obvious and more irritating and saddening to see how the young generation is not exposed to nearly the culture I was when I was growing up. Yeah. And then so you transitioned from being a violinist over to doing what you said, nursing? Nursing, yes. Registered yeah. nurse. And what, right. what was, yeah, what triggered that? What, what 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 got you involved in that? I really didn't feel useful enough as a musician to others and helpful. And I wanted to be helpful. I wanted to feel like I'm part of a world that I had no clue about. I mm. knew I was really unaware of the real world because when you're an artist, when you're a musician, you think that what you're doing is the most important thing. It's a very self-centered career in many ways. And over the course of several years, it's I couldn't avoid the thought anymore. That I couldn't ignore it anymore. That I needed to learn much more about the real world if I wanted to be successful as a person in the first place. And it's important to be able to contribute to society in a way that you really feel that you're doing something of substance other than concertizing on a stage where you know that uh, you depend on the whims of very rich people to support you. Because the United States, uh, it's not like Germany or England, where the government is very in involved in supporting their orchestras and the culture. The US has never been like that. And uh, because of um, the situation in New York State, like I said, I was in Syracuse Symphony between 2006 and 2008 when I made the decision to pursue nursing. Um, lots of the major businesses had fled New York State because of the high taxation and the high government corruption in the state. So there weren't too many major businesses to support a enterprise like a symphony orchestra. 
Mm-hmm. And then the financial crisis hit and eventually uh, there were big, big uh, conflicts between the management and the musicians and the orchestra bankrupted. So nursing was a profession that I knew I wasn't going to have to be in college for 11 more years because it, it took 11 years to be in college as a musician from bachelor's degree, master's degree and doctoral degree. But nursing I could accomplish in two or three years if I was a part-time student, which is exactly what I did on the weekend problem, program in a very prestigious nursing college in uh, Syracuse, New York, the St. Joseph's College of Nursing. And nursing was in high demand. It still is in high demand. There is a shortage of nurses everywhere. You can find a job anywhere in the world, unlike being a classical violinist who may end up auditioning for 15 years before scoring a full-time job. A very different field, completely different concept. Yeah, that, that, that's why I was curious about it because it was totally different, you know, way out there. So you just you you were excited to reach out and and help societies. What you were trying to say, you know, help people in some other way instead of just the music part. Um, that that's that's good. And then you went from that to real estate. I did. That was in 2014 when I purchased my first real estate rental property uh, because. Once I became a nurse, mm-hmm. I mean, unless you're blind and deaf or deaf or both, you will quickly figure out how most nurses live, how they're treated by the um, very big corporations that keep devouring hospital after hospital. Because hospitals started small as their own entities, but you know what happens right now for the last 10 or 20 years, corporations have been buying hospitals and mass. And um, the way the workforce is, the burnout rates and... Uh, People don't stay at a job for very long. I have been at the same job, I can probably say, for almost 10 years now. However, I had to create another financial option for myself because it's not just enough to earn money at a job if you want to be financially independent. And I did see many nurses were flat broke, even though many of them really had higher paychecks than me because when I started first as a nurse at age 35, I was a beginning nurse. So I started at the lowest possible rate, but then there were all these other nurses that were way more senior than me. And they constantly said, oh, my money's not enough for this. I owe $10,000 on a credit card. I'm flat broke. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? What are you spending your money on? This is just impossible. Because I was a freelancing musician forever. And I was really, really not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination. I always had to count my pennies, so to speak. Then I became a nurse. And even that very low salary at the beginning was to me like a miracle thing. And then there are these colleagues who say, we don't have any money. So you're doing something wrong with your money. You're spending it. Why are you putting everything on a credit card? So I had to learn about investing and see how I can multiply my saved money into cash flowing assets that were not related to a job. And when you have these assets, they're not taxed the way your earned income from the job is. So I thought that was very interesting. And I wanted to have another choice in case um, something happened with the job because nothing is ever guaranteed. Job security is a myth, even in nursing and especially in the medical professions because there is so much responsibility, so much politics in the medical profession and science and uh, everywhere you go. and, And then the schedules, Sometimes if you're in a unionized institution, you know, the union does whatever it wants. They take your money, but they don't do anything to help nurses have better schedules. And then you go in the non-unionized institution, which is a private hospital, and then they can make you work whatever. It, it's just really varies everywhere. And it's not a sense that, I mean, I, I'm not saying that you have to be comfortable with the job because if you're comfortable, then you won't put the effort. But 
you need to have choices. And I was curious though, I was curious about finances because I knew that um, it was fascinating to learn to invest and become your own boss with the finances. It was intimidating to me, just like nursing was before that. And then I became ambitious because I said, okay, if you were able to learn a science profession that you had no clue about as a musician, why can't you learn finance, financial parlance, financial jargon, and see if you can purchase properties, rent them, fix them nicely, rent them to people, provide good, affordable housing, learn about the market. And it was a whole new ballgame for me, starting from scratch again. But it was great because I learned a lot about how you can really be useful to people in another way, because I can tell you now, John, that I can safely say that I have the most affordable housing in the Valley of the Sun right now in the Phoenix area. The most affordable, because when you buy on time, you don't have to create ridiculous rents. You know how to budget your finances so you don't go underwater with maintenance. And then you have to have the ethical sense that when you have tenants that want to have affordable housing, you can't just skin them alive just because the rest of the market is going crazy because of the COVID virus. Mm-hmm. And this is why I keep my rents low. I have an excellent business in relationship with my residents, my clients, and I take them just as seriously and as responsibly as I take my patients as a nurse. Good. Good. Yeah. And, you know, I've had some rentals in the past too. And that's basically what it comes down to is making sure you provide the affordable housing to whoever's moving in there, you know, and exactly. it's safe. Yeah. It's got to be safe. And and then it just treat it like your own home. Right. You know, and exactly. that's what you want to provide to somebody else. Um, so it, I'm just, I just want to dig a little bit into the real estate part. Is, is it just small homes and stuff you're interested in or is it apartments? I have a multifamily home and I have single family homes. It really depended on the pricing in the area as we kept buying stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, also it depends how much you want to manage right? Because you can always hire a manager, but finding a good manager can be an additional challenge. Um, I like to be as independent as I can be as possible. I'm very, I don't trust people very much. And because I have been burned before in the past on various occasions. So you learn from your mistakes and you try to make fewer mistakes and then uh, handle everything that you have. But with the real estate, uh, you can buy anything as soon as you can make it cash flowing at the beginning, because I'm the type of investor that does cash flow investing. I'm not necessarily interested in capital gains, but I want consistency in every investment. And I have to start making the profit from the very beginning, which I set up my deals in a way that assures that that's going to happen. I don't just shoot in the dark and hope for the best. Yeah. Cash flow is king, right? (laughs) Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, you shared a uh, quite a bit so far about your journey in life. And then you were talking about your book. So I'm, and it was about self-esteem. So I'm, I'm curious, did you have low self-esteem somewhere throughout that journey that you were just sharing with us? I was struggling with self, low self-esteem for over two decades, for over two decades. And it was um, 90%, 95% self-imposed, self-inflicted because I, perhaps I was socially awkward as a child, but I conditioned myself to really not expect anything good from any situation, just so I would win with pessimism and not be disappointed. And that created this whole um, chain of mindsets that eventually you dig yourself into your own hole and you don't realize timely enough that you actually believe what you're thinking and it gets um, 
ingrained in your subconscious mind so strongly that when you decide to get out of it, you still think that you're creating for yourself, but it's actually controlling you very strongly. And by the time I figured this out, uh, over 17, 18 years had passed. And then when the crisis hit and the realization the orchestra was heading towards bankruptcy and it was inevitable that I had to completely turn my life around, that crushed me. That crushed me. And then there was only, there were two options, either sideways or up. So I chose up because I was at a rock bottom at that point. And uh, at that time in 2008, I had to come to terms with my uh, self-inflicted lack of self-confidence, lack of self-esteem. I did have, uh, I mean, it was so bad that I would have this horrific stage fright in many cases that I would give decent recitals. But when it came to auditions, I just never could perform more than 60% of what I was actually capable of in the practice room. And I had to face this when I started a new profession as a nurse, because now I have people's lives at stake with my care when I was in the hospital, right? So at that point, you really put the client, the patient in the first, in the driver's seat. That's the more important part. Then you're disposable. Your emotions are disposable and your self-confidence and self-esteem is to serve them. So that helped quite a bit. And then I taught myself how to make my confidence serve me for finally after over 20 years. But it took about five years to um, fix the mindset and then five more years to see the desired results. And that's why I wrote the book, because I thought I would, could really help many, many other people I know and I don't know who have the same problem, even though it might be expressed in slightly different form. But the bottom line is they don't believe themselves. We don't believe ourselves. You don't believe that you can change something. You can really handle it from the start to the finish and through the middle, even if it takes 10 or 20 years, because people are so impatient. People think that others will judge them if they don't achieve quickly. And as Tony Robbins says, it's a beautiful saying when he says, everybody overestimates what they can accomplish in a year, but everybody underestimates drastically what they can accomplish in 10 years. And that, that's a problem because the fast food mentality is so ingrained in us that we really don't have any more realistic understanding of how we are capable to build our lives responsibly. All right. Yeah, and everybody wants the immediate gratification instead of exactly. taking the time. Yeah. So uh, how how did you go about trying to fix your self-esteem? I divided my life in five categories. And it was not a very conscious process, but it happened naturally with me and with some effort, of course. But um, my health was first priority because I had to serve as a great example to my patients and loved ones if I wanted to be a respected and credible healthcare professional. It was a huge cultural shock, John, when I entered the hospital as a first as a nursing student and then as a professional nurse, seeing all these healthcare professionals with every disease known to man trying to educate patients how to live healthy or how not to get sick. It was absurd. And I'm thinking, how can you possibly be sick they have one, two, three chronic conditions, because if you have one chronic condition, it leads to another one, oftentimes and to a third one. And then you have this combination bouquet of illnesses, of ailments, all of them with potential for multiple organ damage. And then you have the poor diets, lack of exercise, smoking, all these 
horrific, horrific habits that no healthcare professional really should be succumbing to. And they have all these wonderful excuses. Oh, it's stress. I don't have time. I don't have money. It's just a whole crock of BS, just mm. really lack of responsibility as far as I'm concerned. So I very early decided I was not going to be that type of health professional. So I changed my, well, I stopped eating meat and poultry in 2000, way before I knew I was going to be a nurse. But six years ago, I really became a whole foods organic vegan, no compromises, no excuses, no exceptions, none of that stuff. You have to build your own integrity. And what more responsible and challenging, if you wish, thing to build integrity than watching your own diet? Because food is one of the biggest temptations, especially bad food, food that you really shouldn't be eating very big temptation and if you can control that in yourself you become that much more stronger that much stronger if you're so disciplined that you don't even allow yourself when you're alone with yourself to do something stupid with your dad after you didn't compromise for three months you learn to appreciate your discipline your integrity for yourself and your um, consistency so health aspect was one big thing and i was a martial artist for 12 years very intensely and then I hit the gym like a crazy person. So I'm a gym freak right now. Okay. So I don't compromise that either. And diet and fitness are not a substitute for each other. They go hand in hand. And I preach this to my patients and my coaching clients all the time. And then, of course, the thing I mostly drill people on is time management. So this was the first aspect of self-confidence. But then comes your spirituality, your spiritual needs, your careers, your finances, your relationships, because everything evolves from all these choices that you make with your health lifestyle, then you have to pick relationships that won't drag you into places that you were going to compromise your health or convince you to do things that you should, they think you should do just because life is short. Well, I would say exactly because life is short, you shouldn't be doing these things. <laughs> so you can live a longer life well and not become a um, victim and a um, commodity to the healthcare system and pharmaceutical industry, which are the most profitable businesses in the United States. And the first cause of personal bankruptcy in this country. It's just horrible to think about it, but that's exactly what it is. So nobody think, seems to think thinking very hard about this in the health profession world. And that was very surprising to me and honestly very disappointing. So you said you split it into five, but you named health and fitness. Was there other areas? Health, you... health is the first aspect in spirituality, career, finances, and relationships. Uh, with the career and finances, it's interesting because many people confuse their careers with the ability to become wealthy, and that's just simply wrong. You very rarely can become wealthy if you just have a self-employed business or a job working for somebody else. So people need to learn to invest their money. I mean, look at the credit card crisis in this country for the last well over a decade. It's been 20 years with the credit card crisis. The debt is staggering, staggering, you know, the trillions of dollars. And uh, schools don't teach these things to children and uh, the colleges don't teach you that. Um, the, the college debt, education debt is another monster and people go to college and then there is no guarantee that they'll find any jobs uh, that they expect it. And by the time you graduate from college, the job that you bargain for is a completely different deal because everything changes so fast. So investing is an essential part of your confidence of your freedom of your financial choices and then you can dictate what people you associate with you're not um, confined to a certain company or group of people just because you can't um, survive otherwise everything is just so tightly connected and this is what i reflected in the book 
because none of these five aspects can go neglected if you want to be holistically self-confident. See, the problem, John, is that people think of health mostly when they hear holistic. But holistic, as far as confidence, your health is not separated from your career, your finances, your relationships, and your spiritual needs or preferences. So everything has to be at the top level and constantly worked on throughout your life. Yeah. And um, your uh, your book, what, what what does it actually do? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing it's sharing your story, what you're sharing with us today. And then does it go into like how you can get help? Very much so. So this it shares, the, it shares the story so people can see where I draw my experience from, but it also teaches you how to embrace the challenges that you have mm. been afraid of embracing, how to change your life, why to change your life, how to find your reasons to continue existing if you're at a midlife crisis or a bad crossroads in life. It teaches um, spiritual ways to clean your mind and then inspire your mind, which is the nourishment for the mind. It also teaches how to exercise your mind, how to lifelong le- do lifelong learning by challenging your brain and your mind into things that you didn't do before just to keep it really alive and active because things change so fast right now with technology and different demands on job in, in, in the career field and everywhere else that if we don't constantly learn new things, we will become old and obsolete much faster than our parents and grandparents did because yeah. things become obsolete so fast. So this is the, the mind, the spiritual part has the uh, cleaning part, which is uh, you clean your mind from petty, unnecessary thoughts. Then you have to nourish your mind through inspiration, whether it's somebody you really admire and learn how they achieved what you want to achieve. And then you have the fitness for the mind, which is the lifelong learning part. The health is the same thing. You have to cleanse your body of things that you don't need. You remove the bad food and the bad habits. Then you have to detox your body to keep it clean on the inside and keep your immune system strong. And then you have to do the fitness for the body, which is the gym or martial arts, whatever, however you choose to become strong with, whether weightlifting or cardio or both. So mind and body very connected in terms of strategies, how to keep them clean, nourished, and uh, then strong. Okay. The career aspects, uh, I've talked a lot about work ethic, uh, because I see lots of people moving from job to job, hoping to get by and they really aren't learning enough on the jobs because your job is to learn marketable skills and to be useful to society. And then if you did a good job with these two prerequisites, then you have enough money to save and invest. And then you have to learn how to invest. So that's the fourth aspect, which is finances, how to become financially independent. It's not through your job. It's through your investments and how you expand that wealth perpetually and consistently over the course of 5, 10, or 15 years. So at any moment you can say, okay, I'm working because I want to work. Well, I don't feel like working anymore. I want to take a little break and I'll still be perfectly fine in life. And the fifth aspect, relationships, obviously, if you don't mingle with the right people, you will have poor results in your health. You will have poor career results, poor financial results, and poor spiritual life if you're with the wrong people at the wrong time. Yeah. And so let's touch on that real quick. So through your journey, were there people there that were supporting you and, or were you trying to do this on your own? There were many very supportive people. And then there were many well-intentioned people who would give the wrong advice due to lack of experience, due to self-limited limiting beliefs that they tried to impose upon me. So I had to reject that. 
in spite of their good intentions. So this is very important because if you have a little fear, even a little fear to change yourself, if somebody with more fear than you tells you that, oh, it's very dangerous, it's really scary and no guarantee for success, then you can give up very easily. But I had to recognize that very early because I was dead set I was going to change my profession. And then the same thing happened with investing because there were these wonderful friends who said, oh my gosh, you're going to lose your money. This is so risky. You can't do that. It's a lot of work. Well, no kidding. It's a lot of work, but you guys haven't invested at all. And I really want to dab into this now. So yeah. these types of things, uh, I'm not even talking about people who intentionally influence you poorly. They are very well-intentioned. And the people who don't support you, who actively try to sabotage your efforts, they should be used as inspiration for you to get even tougher on yourself. And it's nothing for you to prove to them. The biggest challenge is people to prove to themselves that they can do what they want to do, because we are the biggest sabotagers of our own best intentions. We don't need anybody else to dissuade us often enough. We are strong enough enemies of ourselves when we decide to be fearful, anxious, uh, fearful of failure, of judgment. Uh, these are, I think these are crutches for like excuses to not take action. But I didn't used to think that way 20, 15 years ago. It took me time to evolve to understand that these fears are really self-excuses. And once you look at it that way, nobody can stop you. Yeah. And that's so true. I, I totally agree with you because there's things I've done and went through in my past, you know, it's, it's really you putting in that yourself in that situation where you can't grow and it's finding that place where you can grow and the people that you surround yourself with. And yeah. So, I mean, I appreciate you sharing and being honest with that about the people you are around and your relationships with whoever that was that helped you move forward and people that were holding you back a little bit. Um, yeah. So how can people reach out to you or, or, you know, find your book, you know, what's the best way to connect? I have a website. It's called holisticselfconfidence.com. No dashes. Um, holisticselfconfidence.com. The paperback version is on the website. As far as the ebook version, it's um, purchasable on the website and Amazon and Smashwords and Apple Books and Barnes and Noble. This is what the book looks like. It is thick, however, substantial. It's right here. And it's, it's called, It Really Is Simple, A Holistic Approach to Self-Confidence, A Practical Guide. And it discusses all these aspects and how you can elevate your everything you want in your life. And uh, it's very important to understand that you are not alone, not just because people like me have done it. You're not alone because many other people who are older and with much worse situations than yours have done amazing things. But you are alone in the sense that you are alone with your responsibility to do your own steps and your own uh, journey and everything that you want to accomplish. And while people can support you verbally or in other ways, emotionally, uh, sometimes materially, if need be, ultimately, you have to do your homework, you have to do your work. And that's the best part. It shouldn't be what's holding you back. It should be what really inspires you to move forward because once you're on the other side, it's just the best thing you can ever give yourself and you will appreciate your life and yourself in a very different way than you were before you commenced your uh, challenge. Yeah, and that, that's correct. You got to be willing to take action, you know, yourself. Um, and if you don't do that, you're never going to move forward, you know, and, and you could be stuck wherever you are or go further mm -hmm. down. Yeah. Um, 
So I appreciate you sharing everything. And uh, the question I have for everybody else at the end is what are three key things you've learned and used along your journey? Solve the problems as fast as you can. That's one. Mm -hmm. Second, start from the biggest and most unpleasant problem of the day. Then everything else seems like cake. Because you will have these moments when you things that you absolutely don't want to touch, get to them immediately. Get it over with. Always, always choose the hardest challenge first and then everything else aligns. And the third thing is reward yourself with a basic recognition that you are further ahead than you were yesterday, the day before, a year ago, two years ago, especially in the moments that you really feel like quitting. And that's where one of my mentors, Robert Kusaki, actually that was his mentor who told him when Robert wanted to quit his uh, investing in his business and everything, and his mentor said, okay, you, you, of course you can quit, but why now? Why now? So these are the three key things that I would like to relate to uh, your audience. And these have helped me tremendously in many, many situations over the last 15 years. Well, thank you. I appreciate you coming on and share your journey with us, Alexandra. And looking forward to connecting with you further down the road and seeing where you go with your book and anything else you're doing. Likewise, John. Thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you for taking your time listening to Life's Checkmark. If you like this show, please subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time.